Welcome to the Left of Straight Show, where we talk entertainment, music, books, foodies, and more each week. Well, howdy, howdy, everyone. Welcome to another Rainbow Rundown. If it's Monday, it's time for a Rainbow Rundown where I highlight the top news stories of the week that caught my eye, at least. Welcome to you. This is the week of June 19th, if you were tuning in. And as always, we record it the day before. So it is Sunday, June 18th. And happy Father's Day, everybody. Happy Father's Day to the wonderful LGBTQ fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to the kids that are celebrating with their fathers. And happy, sorry about that trauma for the fathers that haven't accepted you. But uh, Father's Day is out there. Of course, my father passed away eight years ago in August. He's the reason that I started the Left of Straight Show podcast that's coming up on its eighth year anniversary in July but yeah, dad um, was very sick and I had to move back home to take care of him and my mom. And I was looking for things to do while dad was sleeping most of the day and I wasn't administering whatever he needed to get done. So I was watching some great podcasts at the time, uh, Del Shores and uh, Emerson Collins and a bunch of great podcasts happening. And I decided to start my own podcast dedicated to the LGBTQ community, started talking about my favorite subjects, entertainment, foodies and books. Since then, it's expanded to music and advocacy and a couple other topics from time to time. But welcome. Happy Father's Day week um, and welcome to another Rainbow Rundown. Monday, June 19th, 2023. Well, speaking of Father's uh, Day, I want to start off with a Father's Day story and shout out to some people. There's a new book called Dad that is out. It's a journey into gay fatherhood in the United States. There's more than 40 families portrayed by Belgian photographer Bart Hainan. It's a very diverse group of dads who have one thing in common. They're gay and they have children. So, yeah, if you haven't checked out the book, it's just called Dads by, again, Bart Hainan. And uh, I want to shout out to a couple of great dads uh, that I've had the pleasure of either being on the show or that I follow on social media. I was very happy a couple seasons ago to have Mark Evans and Justin Mortaliti on. Uh, they're both fantastic actors, Broadway actors. Justin is also an incredible singer in a band. Mark sings as well. Had them on the show a couple years ago, and they have since this past year adopted a gorgeous little girl, just turned one years old. So I love following their journey on Instagram. And they turned me on to Taylor Frey and Kyle Dean Massey, who I already knew about from their fantastic acting and Broadway shows. Plus, they were in a Hallmark movie. You know how much I love the Hallmark movies. But they created a fantastic organization and company called Elevate Baby. Uh, the information on Elevate Baby, it's a white glove surrogacy and egg donation agency offering personalized service and dedication to your path to parenthood. They've been very successful getting quite a few babies um, 
conceived for LGBTQ parents. And I haven't had them on the show yet, but that's one of my goals for this season to hopefully have uh, them on the show because I would love to be able to speak to Taylor and Kyle. Uh, they're not only fantastic entertainers, but like I said, they're fantastic dads. They opted, they adopted their own beautiful baby girl and have started this amazing company. You can follow it on social media and look up their website, Elevate Baby, that is helping a lot of LGBTQ couples um, find their way into parenthood. So very excited for that. And like I said, I've just been amazed. We've only had marriage equality for about eight years now. Before, it was very unusual for gay fathers to adopt. A little more common for lesbians. Of course, Rosie O'Donnell um, was one of the earliest when she adopted her son, Parker, and stayed at home to do her Rosie O'Donnell show. It's one of the reasons she went on to television to have more time with her son. And she went on to adopt five more. So uh, she started the lesbian. The gay fatherhood has not really been a thing until marriage equality became equal. I think it was a lot tougher for dads to adopt. They had to find a surrogacy from hopefully a lesbian friend or a supportive straight ally who was willing to help them out. Now with marriage equality, I think it's been easy for them with companies such as Elevate Baby. It's uh, give them resources to find uh, children to adopt through or through surrogacy. And uh, so some great shout outs there. Like I said, Mark and Justin, also Brett Schuford that's been on the show and his husband, Steve Hanna, uh, their Broadway husbands. If you haven't seen their social media, they've adopted a beautiful little one. Um, and if there's a brand new podcast also from husbands, Michael Lindsay and Matthew Schuler, if you're not familiar with them, They've been doing some gay travel blogs forever. They documented their marriage and their travels all over the world. And they are on their way to surrogacy. And so they've started a brand new podcast. So hopefully I can get them on as well to talk about that. I think it'd be an interesting topic. So that might be a podcast you want to check out and see. I believe it's called Who's Your Daddy Podcast, which is a fantastic name for it. And it's talking about the expense of surrogacy and everything you go through along the way. And I'm sure they'll probably have some of the people that I mentioned on the show as well. So you can look for Who's Your Daddy on Spotify, Apple, all the great podcast places. Look for Elevate Baby on social media and on their website. And then follow along the great uh, Taylor Frey, Kyle Dean Massey, uh, Jorson, Justin Mortaliti, Mark Evans, Brett Shuford, and Stephen Hanna. Um, just some great examples of LGBTQ fatherhood. So happy Father's Day to all of them and to all of you out there. I thought that was a great story that I wanted to share with you. So happy Father's Day, everyone. Let's go ahead and move on to the next story that caught my eye. A Michigan news station was told uh, told the reporters to get both sides at local pride events. So what happened is Nexstar, it's one of the nation's largest operator of local television stations. They said Thursday that's conducting an investigation after a news director at a Michigan station told its journalists to scale back its Pride Month coverage and get both sides on LGBTQ issues, saying their polarizing nature had upset some of its more conservative viewers. 
We're looking into the situation at, oh my God, Wood TV of all things, LGBTQ. So they're looking at the situation at Wood TV in Michigan as the communication regarding the station's coverage of Pride Month activities in the area is not consistent with Nexstar's values, the way we cover the needs, the news, or the respect we have for our viewers is what the company said in a statement from Nexstar. Uh, the investigation comes as the news staff at Grand Rapids, Michigan's-based NBC affiliate, Wood TV, received a memo this on Tuesday, this was early June, from the assistant news director by the name of Amy Fox. It was titled June Pride Month and Stories. We need to recognize that some stories related to LGBTQ issues are going to be controversial and polarizing in our community. While you personally may not agree with a certain position, people are entitled to their opinions, and they are our viewers, the notice read. If we are covering pride events, we need to consider how to make the story balanced and get both sides of the issue. So this is their news director, one of their assistant news directors, Amy Fox, issuing this declaration in early June saying that we have to, quote, get both sides of a story of pride, meaning we try to make pride as positive as possible, right? It means they want to get the negative aspects of the LGBTQ community is basically what it's saying in the nutshell for their conservative viewers. The memo came days after the station covered an inaugural pride festival in the city of Grand Haven that drew thousands of attendees. A journalist at the station who asked not to be identified told CNN that several employees responded to the memo via email or to voice their disapproval to the email. Our newsroom immediately stood up to the two managers who wrote a memo mandating that we cover the other side of Pride events. Wood TV anchor Michelle DeSelms wrote on her Twitter page, essentially requiring us to give equal time to hate and discrimination. So it does not list in this article who the other news director was. It only mentions Amy Fox at this time. But uh, it's very sad to see that happening. Nextstar is a huge independent uh, television company that owns stations all across the country, all over the place. And luckily, it is saying that it, this is against their values. They're looking into it at this station. Hopefully, it's causing them to look at other stations. I think this happened in early June and early Pride is being investigated now. But just one of the things that we are dealing with in today's polarized environment. Um, we've been talking about it all Pride Month long. We are still smack dab in the middle of Pride Month. And hate has been on the rise for the last few months, last few years, if you ask a lot of us, since the Trump presidency came along. So, yeah, so that was a story that I found interesting in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I have a lot of friends that live in Grand Rapids, actually. And it was after a new Pride, a very first Pride festival in Grand Haven, Michigan, had lots of attendees. I guess it drew some flack from their more conservative listeners. So. 
I'll keep an eye on that for you. Speaking on keeping an eye on, I do want to follow up on two stories that we had in a couple previous Rainbow Rundowns. Uh, first off, the um, Dodgers, the L.A. Dodgers, great baseball team out in L.A. that I used to go to a lot when I lived there. Um, they had a lot of religious, religious groups protest uh, the drag for the Sisters Perpetual Indulgence at L.A. Dodgers Pride Night. This was last Friday. Um, we talk of the 16th. Uh, we had talked about it a couple of rainbow rundowns before that originally the Dodgers disinvited the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, who is a longtime LGBT charity group raising money for AIDS back in the day, uh, a very longstanding group dedicated to supporting LGBTQ causes. There was a lot of blowback for it. The Dodgers had since issued an apology, re-invited the sisters, and uh, Pride Night was back on again. Pride Night was canceled for a bit. So they had the event this past Friday, the 16th, and about two hours before is when protesters started showing up. And they actually did have about a couple of thousand protesters show up to the event outside Dodger Stadium. Um the game was against the, the Dodgers against the San Francisco Giants. San Francisco team, who would have thought that's uh, appropriate? Um, they uh, rally attracted a large police presence from the Los Angeles P Police Department, but there was no violence reported to have occurred or broken out during the demonstrations. There was a video and images from inside the stadium that were shared on social media that went viral, suggesting that the venue was nearly empty during the Pride Night event. However, fact, check, fact checkers quickly clarified that the image were taken before the game even started. Uh, it was the end of, the actual attendance that was taken once the game started was 49,074 people out to watch Pride Night at the stadium. Uh, it was said that's pretty average for a Friday night uh, game at Dodger Stadium, unless it's one of the more popular teams the Dodgers are playing against. One video in particular showed the sisters accepting their award in front of a nearly empty stadium, and that was true. And the reason because that is the pregame ceremony that was there to honor the Sisters of uh, Perpetual Indulgence was uh, held a little earlier than normal things are done before game time started. They did it on behalf of safety reasons from what they said. Uh, so there was, the way the chemist was set up, there was not a big crowd in the stadium. But the sisters, of course, took it in stride. Um, the stands were more empty than filled, but the mood was warm and happy. Drag Act member Sister Unity told the publication. People were happy. People were friendly. The sun was shining. The grass was green. And now we have baseball and hot dogs. It's L.A. at its best, uh, according to good old Sister Unity. She also added, there are a couple of thousand people protesting, but there are over a million people in my community in L.A. County. Whatever happens to me, I have to be there for them. This moment was given to us. It was a moral imperative for me to rise to that occasion on behalf of the people who believe in me and our city. So good on them for the Dodgers for reinviting them. Um, 
couple thousand protesters is not a small amount, but as Sister Unity says, in the scheme of things, where there are thousands or if not a million LGBT uh, members of our community in the LA County area, um, a small drop in the bucket, and they were there, the sisters were there to make sure that their pride was shown. So good on that. A second follow-up story that I wanted to cover, I did talk about last week about the largest Pride event ever at the White House. Uh, Joe Biden invited quite a few people to an amazing Pride celebration last Saturday at the White House. Uh, He announced three great LGBTQ um, programs that he was implementing across three divisions of the U.S. government for pro-LGBTQ audiences. Three great laws we went over last week. If you didn't read that, you can go back and look at that. But there has been a little controversy that broke out. At the Pride event last Saturday, Rose Montoya attended the Pride event on the White House lawn, along with hundreds of queer activists. But shortly afterward, she posted a video on Instagram that showed a clip of her standing in front of the White House topless as she covered her nipples with her hands. So I did see this video. She is right there on the front lawn of the White House, right in front of the gate, um, one of the fences in front of the actual White House itself, um, showing her taking off her top, covering her breasts. And the video of Montoya sparked a right-wing media frenzy, as you can imagine. Uh, It was a firestorm. Commenters were calling their actions disrespectful, which they were. Um, Some used the debacle to launch broader criticism of the trans community at large, which we don't need at all. Lacing it with transphobic slurs, of course. Montoya did acknowledge the criticism on Friday, finally, almost a week after the event. She apologized to the LGBTQ people who faced harassment as a result of the video. It was also never my intention, she said, to create a situation that might lead to harassment and harm of myself and other. It was for joy uh, in our trans community, uh, like my little moment of trans joy, and it was weaponized by vile people in the opposition. But give it or not, I am not for this at all. Um, You don't go to a White House event, one of the largest pride um, celebrations on a national stage with the president of the United States, a lot of great people there, and decide to go topless and to make a statement on your Instagram. The Biden uh, Biden administration, excuse me, weighed in on the matter on Tuesday, saying that Montoya and the other people included in the video would be banned from future events organized at the White House. This behavior is inappropriate and disrespectful for any event at the White House. It is not reflective, though, of the event we hosted to celebrate our LGBTQ plus families or the other hundreds of guests who are in attendance, a White House spokesman said. So, yeah, I think it was very disrespectful. Um, Talk about clickbait to the extreme. So Rose Montoya, thank you for being a trans activist, but shame on you. Okay. We know better than this. We knew it was going to cause controversy. And I think this was for pure clickbait, her and a couple others that did it. And she deserves never to go to a White House event again or to go to a lot of other events I would not invite her to for this kind of display of disrespect to what a Pride Festival is. I mean, 
I talk about all the time how pride is a march and not a parade. I'm all about activism, but there is a time and place for a lot of things. I was all for ACT UP back in the day. I mean, I'm an older LGBT of a certain age. I was about certain disrespectful things, but um, I, I just think that was very tasteless. So that was a follow-up to the story that I wanted to bring to your attention. Next story on the agenda is, and I thought this was amazing. I mean, we talk about all this LGBTQ hate and it's on the rise from a lot of conservative groups. And I can't believe in 2023, we're still talking about the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, this past week, the Ku Klux Klan, two members of them, card-carrying members, I might add, they had cards showing that they're part of the Ku Klux Klan, um, they pulled a gun on LGBTQ demonstrators in Kentucky. It was a small town of Corbin, Kentucky. It was two Sundays ago. Um, they were The group was giving shouts of gay rights equals human rights at a small protest against anti-LGBTQ plus legislation that's being pursued in the state level. And they were met with their own kind of hateful anti-demonstration. So we've talked about Kentucky in the past, their drag ban that thankfully got overturned, a lot of laws that are going on there. But So this a small group um, was demonstrating against uh, the laws that have been perpetrated there, saying gay rights equal human rights. And these two Ku Klux Klan members, Clayton Segabart, 43, and a, his companion was uh, Kenneth Hutton. They went by on a motorcycle, shouted some LGBTQ slurs, flipped them off, started yelling obscenities, and then pulled over and approached the group, making it clear with hands in their pockets that they were armed. So one of the people that were part of the group, um, his last name, Osborne, confronted them. I don't know if that was the smartest thing to do in the world, uh, but he did. And um, he he went out to him and kind of stood up to these two agitators from the Ku Klux Klan. They called the police. And just as they pulled out their guns is when police thankfully showed up. There's a video of the event. The video captures police arriving out of, out of frame shouting toward the clown members. He re he responds yelling, come take care of these faggots then, according to Osborne. Police then emptied the guns of their bullets, returned them to the men and told them to leave, which I thought was appalling and fascinating. They pulled a gun on this group of LGBTQ protesters, pulled a gun, held it in the air, and all that happened was the police emptied the bullets, gave them their guns back, and asked them to leave. Um, they also cleared the scene of the demonstrators themselves who were told by the police that the protest couldn't proceed anymore without a permit. So they cleared the area. Uh, I'm not going to comment that either way. I think they should have got a permit to do it. Um, and it was probably safer for all involved to get them out of there. Who knows what these two guys would have done when they came back after the police were gone. So uh, very sad state of affairs. According to news reports after the event, 
Flyers attributed to the Trinity White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan have shown up around Corbin, Kentucky, and the neighboring towns following this June 3rd confrontation. It says on the flyer, Parents, take control of our schools, the flyer reads. Remove all filth from school libraries, two gender policies, and end the presence of men in girls' restrooms. The screed ends with a recruitment pitch on the flyer. Parents, take your stand. Join the Ku Klux Klan. I can't believe we're dealing with this in 2023. They are more emboldened than ever, as we've seen with the Proud Boys and all these white nationalist groups. Just a sad state of affairs. Uh, I'm so happy that no one was hurt. I can't believe uh, this one guy stood up to these two guys. And I can't believe that the police basically got rid of their bullets and gave the guns back and just asked them to leave. Um, that's intimidation. That is threatening violence on somebody. Um, I'm surprised it hasn't received more more airplay than that. But um, it was just a news story that I thought was very important for me to share with you guys. Because Kentucky is not too far from Ohio. You go down to southern Ohio and Kentucky is right over the border there. So very sad story indeed. Last story I'll end with, just because it's something we've already known, something I've talked about in the Left of Straight show during interviews many times and in opening host talk. But a new survey has shown once again that gays, lesbians, and bisexuals are more prone to drug and alcohol abuse than their straight peers. A new survey of gay, lesbian, and bisexual shows a higher rate of drug and alcohol use compared to the straight peers with higher rates of mental health issues as well. Bisexual respondents were singled out for additional problems with substance abuse and mental health due to sexual orientation-based discrimination, bisexual invisibility and erasure, and a lack of bisexual affirmative support. Among the findings, bisexual men were twice as likely to make a suicide plan in the last year as gay men and four times as likely as straight men. Bisexual women were six times more likely to attempt suicide than their straight women and three times more likely to have an opioid use disorder. So in general, LGBTQ uh, has been above a higher risk factor of suicide, drug and alcohol abuse than their peers. And it seems that of that subset, bisexual men and women are even more prone to that due to disability. The report was published Tuesday by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services of the Department of Health and Human Services. It takes data from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, which has identified respondents' sexual orientation since 2015. Incidentally, beginning in 2023, uh, this year, the survey will add gender identity to include trans and non-binary individuals. That hasn't happened as of yet for this report. So we knew that we had higher rates of suicide. We knew that we were more prone to drug and violence use because of the shunning of our uh, what happens to sexual minorities. Um, 
It was found, of course, as we do know, that whatever stressors sexual minorities face, having one or more supportive individuals in their life can make the difference between coping with or succumbing to the pressure, especially for younger people. Having that person in a young person's life that says, I see you and I affirm you can be hugely protective against substance abuse problems. And it is also part of the narrative that we're talking about. So I'm going to have some people on the show in July, I think, to talk to this mental health. Mental health was month was in May. I did not really address it then. Uh, now that we have Pride Month going on now, I think it'll be more important as ever, as we've seen a lot of discriminations happened over the month to talk with some mental health professionals and see what we can do to help affirm each other and rise it up, especially among our youth. So not a surprising study by any means, but it's something I want to bring to our attention and something I want to get on the Left of Straight show with one of our interviews in the years to come. Last story I'm going to talk about today um, on NBC Out, which is a great uh, part of NBC News Entertainment uh, that focuses on LGBT issues. Um, now that Century Old's Art of Drag has become a preferred target in the current culture warfare, we dedicate this year's annual NBC Out Pride 30 list to the performers who have put this art form in the map. So I talked a couple weeks ago on the Rainbow Rundown about Queerty's Out 50. If you haven't seen that, they've done some great profiles of people encouraged for a great uh, queer men and women that they profiled over Pride Month, 50 people out. Um, NBC Out Pride has been doing a couple of years their Pride 30 list, um, one for each day of the month. And this is specifically dedicating it to our drag community, who's been under the most, uh, I mean, it started with drag. I think it's kind of mirrored more towards trans, uh, but both are equally been discriminated against in this past month. And um, kudos to NBC Out for giving 30 out pride drag queens great um, visibility for this month. Um, from a formerly enslaved person who first donned drag in the late 1800s to the stars of RuPaul Drag's Race, this performance art, typically characterized by gender impersonation and exaggerated forms of gender expression, has a long and lasting legacy. It is also undeniably has strong ties to our LGBTQ community, with the lion's share of drag queens and kings identifying as part of that community. While drag is not new, what is new is a tidal wave of state legislation seeking to restrict where in front of where at and in whom in front of these shows can be performed. So far this year, lawmakers in at least 16 states have introduced such measures with governors from Tennessee, Florida, and Montana signing bills intended to restrict drag performances. So good on NBC out for recognizing these performers. A couple, I'll just give you a couple of them that I thought was interesting. From the 1700s, although she predated the modern usage of the term drag, um, which is said to be a product of the late 19th century British theater, Princess Serafina is widely regarded as the first English drag queen. Uh, the female persona of 18th century Englishman John Cooper 
Princess Serafina dared to roam the streets of London when homosexuality was a capital offense. So that's one of the ones they profile, as well as from 1860 to 1924, Gawanga Mohawk, born in the western New York village of Gawanda, was one of the very first Native American actors to perform on the American stage and the first known Native American male impersonator. This was a female doing a male impersonation and the first Native American known back in the 1860s and 1924. They also featured in the 1890s and 1973, long before the queens of RuPaul's Drag Race embraced wig reveals, a high-wire performer from small-town Texas made a career removing her curls. Barbette, born Vander Clyde Broadway, found fame in the 1920s and 30s performing daring acrobatic shows in full drag at world-famous venues like the Moulin Rouge, and then she ended all of her acts with a signature move, removing her blonde wig to reveal boyish brown hair underneath it. Very La Cajafo, right? I am what I am. And that was back, like I said, 1890s and 1973 is when Vander Clyde Broadway was around. From 1930 till 19 to 2023, when they passed, Walter Willard Cole was drafted into the United States Army in the 50s, and by following a decade living in Portland, Oregon, with his wife and two children, it wasn't until his late 60s, uh, when he was, in, it wasn't until the late 60s, when he was in his 30s, that he came into a zone as a drag queen named Darcel the 15th, and also came out as gay. Uh, this happened in Portland, Oregon. I lived in Portland for four years. I had the pleasure of seeing Darcel perform. Um, he came into his own as a drag queen. Uh, Cole opened the Darcel 15 showplace in Portland in 1967. It became home to the longest running drag show on the West Coast. And in 2020 was the first site in Oregon to be added to the National Register of Historic Places for significance in LGBTQ history. Darcel the 15th performed into her early 90s, having been crowned the world's oldest working drag performer by Guinness World Records five years earlier. So Darcel sadly passed away this year. Uh, our friend Brandon Carmody mentioned her in passing. I was lucky enough, like they said, to see Darcel perform and a real legend. Of course, one of the other on the out 30 list Marsha P. Johnson, who we think about every Pride season, uh, she would cheekily tell people the P stood for pay it no mind, was an outspoken transgender rights activist and was reported to be one of the central figures of the historic Stonewall Uprising of 1969, along with fellow trans activist Sylvia Rivera. Johnson helped form Street Transvestite Action Revolution, or STAR a radical political organization that provided housing and other forms of support to homeless queer youth and sex workers in Mon Manhattan. So, like I said, 30 great people. Go to NBC Out to look it up. RuPaul is listed, Lady Bunny, Bianca Del Rio, Bob the Drag Queen, Jinx Monsoon, Trixie Martell. Just 30 fantastic drag queens celebrated by NBC Out 30. So congratulations to them. 
And that's the news that I saw fit to print in this week's Rainbow Rundown. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to give a big shout out to the Left of Straight Show uh, interns that are starting this week. I told you about them last week. I hired six interns on the show. So I'm looking forward to you guys meeting them in the coming weeks. They're all going to be creating their own um, podcast. Uh, as they learn the craft and they'll be doing a lot of things on our social media for left of straight radio. So be sure to follow them on left of straight radio as well. And then rounding out pride month, we have our two year anniversary of the left of straight show coming up July 3rd. Look for more announcements on that. Uh, we're going to have a great uh, swag bag giveaway. We're giving away eight amazingly stuffed swag bags that we'll talk about more as the weeks go on. For our eight-year anniversary, I'm having the original guest, Kelly McCracken and Ben Patrick Johnson, back on the show eight years later to mark our eighth anniversary of the Left of Straight show. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Happy continued Pride. Thanks for listening to the Rainbow Rundown. Be sure to listen on Tuesdays for our five questions with. And I have lots of interviews to get to you this Pride Month. Because it's been so busy hiring interns and so many things going on for festivals I've been attending and things I've been doing work-wise, I have not had all my interviews up as I wanted in a timely fashion. Prepare for lots of fun interviews in the last two weeks of Pride here. Have a happy Pride. Thanks for tuning in. Share this with all of your friends. And from me, host Scott Fullerton, happy Pride, everybody. And thanks for listening to the Rainbow Rundown. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.